You are listening to episode number 12 of the Ranching Brunette podcast. I am Logan, your host, and we have Paige Roberts joining us today for a fun changeup from talking beef to dairy cattle. Paige is a first-generation dairy farmer and a fantastic advocate for the dairy industry. Paige, thank you for joining us today to share another great part of the agricultural world. I'm really excited to be here. Nervous. It's my first <laughs> podcast, so hopefully I don't embarrass myself. But <laughs> Oh, this is going to be fun. It's just going to be a fun conversation, and I'm really excited about this because I really know hardly anything at all about the dairy industry. So I think this is going to be a really cool conversation. I can't wait Good. to learn more about it today. Good. I'm glad. So to start off, I am extremely excited to hear about your journey as a first-generation farmer. How did you discover your passion for agriculture and ultimately become a dairy farmer? It is a long story. Oh, good. <laughs> so I did not, obviously did not grow up on a farm or anything, but I spent a lot of my childhood in Minnesota. So agriculture wasn't necessarily a new idea, but for me it was. Um, my grandparents had a farm growing up and my mom grew up on a farm, but I did not, was not involved at all. And I moved around a lot as a kid. I was born in Florida and then we lived in Pennsylvania for a while. And then I actually spent three years of my childhood in Tokyo, Japan. Oh, wow. That's neat. Yeah. Um, my dad had a job where he moved around a lot. So I got to spend a lot of time kind of all over the world. Oh, how neat. What a great experience. Yeah, I think it helped shape me later in life quite a yeah. bit. But finally, Minnesota became home. And I've been here ever since about, uh, man, fifth grade. But then in high school, I think my high school class was like more of an overachieving class than a lot of other high school classes because I just felt like I was never really like good at anything and never had a passion. <laughs> but like looking back now at my high school class, we have kids that are at MIT right now for grad school and wow. like they're just doing all these crazy things. So I think I kind of felt like I needed to be just like the super overachiever, but I just never really... I just kind of wanted to get out of high school. I never, there's nothing that sparked interest in me until I went to college and I visited the University of Wisconsin at River Falls and it just felt like home. But going in, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. So I chose psychology, which was not, not a good choice. I think I went to the first day of class and I was like, this is terrible. I need to get out of here. <laughs> So yeah, and then I was at the same time I was taking an environmental science class in the College of Agriculture and this whole new world was opened up to me. And then to the girls that I was living with in the dorm at the time, I think like all of them on our floor was in the College of Ag and I saw how excited they were and how passionate they were and I was like I want to be like them. Like I want to have that same drive. And so I was like, I always loved animals. So I was like, I took intro to animal science and we spent two weeks in the dairy section and I just absolutely fell in love with it. And I got a job at the university lab farm and I worked there for almost my whole college career. Wow. And I did an internship at a 7,000 cow dairy and then I graduated and I got a job the day of graduation. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, you know, That's everyone, awesome. yeah, everyone like felt like they had their jobs lined up and I was like just crossing my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I got a job at a large animal vet clinic 
in Southeast Minnesota. It's a big dairy area down there. I worked there for a year and I got a lot of hands-on experience working with the vets, but I also spent a lot of time in the office, which was not for me. And then finally, after being there a year, one of the vets was really good friends with a family that has a dairy farm near my home. And so I moved home and now I'm slowly trying to take over more responsibility on their farm. And I've been here, it's actually three years today now. So. Oh, wow. Happy anniversary. Yeah. It's exciting. That's awesome. So yeah, that's an abbreviated story a little bit, but. (laughs) I love it. What a neat transition through that. I absolutely love that. And how unique just to go in and have that, you know, two weeks in the dairy and then just discover your passion in that time frame. Isn't that amazing when that happens like that? Yeah, it's was pretty eye opening, you know, finding something that I felt like I was kind of put, you know, on earth to do. Yeah, the only experience I have with the dairy is growing up, I was very active in 4-H and my mom had us join the Garden 4-H Club and the lady, our 4-H leader, her and her husband had one of the last dairies in the valley that I grew up in, in Nevada. And even anytime we had to have a 4-H meeting, it was never about gardening. It was always about their dairy because we want to be around the cows. (laughs) And it was really neat just to see the babies and the milking parlor and how they did everything. And we'd make our own ice cream and stuff. And it was a blast. And I cherish those memories. But that's about the only experience I have with dairy and just seeing how that whole start to finish is. It's just a couple weeks as a young kid. So I'm fascinated by dairy operations. And although my knowledge of them isn't very deep, I have a ton of respect for the dairy industry. Your day-to-day, it's so much more hands-on than ours on the beef side. You guys are working with the cows more often as far as when you're bringing them in for milking and bringing them out and just the hands-on is so much different from the beef side. So will you share with us what a typical day looks like over the course of a year on a dairy operation? Yeah, so my typical day, we have to be there at 4.45 in the morning We start milking at five and cows are very schedule oriented. So if we don't start milking at five, they will get very crabby. (laughs) Um, Yes. So we milk 200 Holsteins in Brown Swiss. So when we milk, we have two people in our parlor and then one person will be cleaning the pens and getting fresh feed to the cows and all that kind of stuff. So it takes us about three hours to milk 200 cows. Wow. Yeah. And then after that, I usually go out and feed calves, take care of them, get them bedding, their feed, things like that. That'll take about an hour. And then while I'm feeding calves, someone else is starting to feed like our milking cows and heifers. We have to at least feed two batches every day to the milking cows because they get fresh feed every day. And then our dry cows and heifers kind of go every other day. Okay. So usually by the time I'm done feeding calves, the cows have gotten feed, and so they're up and at the bunk eating. So that's when we try and do our repro work and all of our vaccinations, because we don't want to disturb the cows. We don't want to be getting them up when they could be laying down. So if they're already up eating, then that's the perfect time. So usually we do that next. Treatments will happen then, stuff like that. So usually with like the main chores... We're done at like 11-ish, depending on the day. You know, sometimes things go wrong and it goes longer. And <laughs> But yeah, so then we do, our vet will come once a month. So she might come. Um, we'll do hoof trimming once a month. 
And then we also have to clean our lots that the cows are in every day. They get fresh bedding every day. It kind of can be crazy in the morning sometimes. I usually try and plan like one day a week where I know things are going to go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it gets crazy. And then so then another day of the week, I can kind of make up for things that I didn't get done. But it's pretty season dependent too. you know, in the winter, it's quite a bit slower than in the summer when we can be outside a lot. Um, and then they start chores again at two. So not a whole lot of downtime in the day. Wow. Yeah. You guys are busy all day long. That's fascinating. <laughs> When's calving season for you guys? So we calve all year round. Okay. Interesting. Cows are constantly calving. Yeah. We had nine calves this last week, which is a lot for us. So it got to be stressful. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And then how long are the calves on your dairy cattle before they're removed? Because I understand they don't stay the whole time with mom. Is that correct? Yep. So in dairy, I shouldn't say for all farms, but a majority of dairy farms will take calves away from the mom as soon as possible. A lot of cow dairy cows will have their calf and then not even care. They'll just walk away. Interesting. Yeah. So if we can take the calf out of there right away, um, we can take care of it and know that it's getting everything it needs and it's colostrum. Right. Yeah. It's kind of a different setup than the beef industry. And I understand the purposes for that. But for people listening who may not know why dairy calves are removed from moms sooner, can you give us a, just an explanation of that? Yeah. So calves, when they're born, they don't have an immune system. So we want to make sure they get their colostrum. And, you know, if mom's walking away, she's not going to nurse off of the cow. So we will bring the cow in the parlor ourselves, milk her, and then we'll feed the colostrum to the calf ourselves, make sure she got what she needed. And then the calf will go into a calf hutch, her own little, I call it like a baby bassinet for a calf, basically. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> yeah. And so she goes in there. Um, disease is a really big thing. There's a couple of big diseases on dairy farms that don't have cures. Um, our farm, we have tested positive for a disease called yonis. And so if the calf is with the adults longer or if they're drinking infected milk, they can get this disease. And it basically causes their intestines to harden and they'll starve to death. Wow. So, yeah, so we want to take them out of there to prevent that and then also make sure they're getting that colostrum. And then dairy cows will really only produce colostrum for one or two milkings. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure we get it early. And then dairy cows milk a lot more than beef cows do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if the calf is with mom, the calf's not going to be able to drink all of that milk. And then mom can get sick from not having all of that milk taken out of her udder. So that is another big reason we get them separated. Oh, thank you for explaining that. Because I think, you know, like for me before I had any firsthand experience, I didn't really understand the process between beef cattle and dairy cattle and the different ways of handling the calves. So I appreciate you explaining that for our listeners who may not have any idea of how that is different from what we do on the beef side. But what would you say is the biggest challenge in raising dairy cows? Oh, man, um, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, the cows, I think are pretty easy. It's the people that can be challenging. Um, you know, we have to have at least three people there every single milking twice a day. So, you know, to find people that will 
show up because the cows, you know, we have to milk them. We don't have a choice. They don't care if it's Christmas or if someone doesn't show up. Yeah. So making sure we have people that we can rely on and be dependent on. And then if we can even find someone that's really passionate about it, that's a plus. But, you know, it gets to be a struggle when people stop showing up and, you know, it kind of just throws your whole day off with everything. But I always say the cows are easy. (laughs) The people are the challenge. (laughs) That's usually the case, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah. So dairy cattle, they've got to be pretty much acclimated to being handled by people. Are they fairly calm and docile where you can just walk up and usually do whatever you need to on them or? Yeah, they're pretty calm. You know, they're used to us being around. They see us all the time. For the most part, we can walk right up to them and pet them and they don't really care. If, you know, if they need to get shots and stuff, they don't appreciate that as much. (laughs) So it can be a struggle, but yeah, they're pretty easy. That's fantastic. You do a great job of educating and sharing the ins and outs of your operation and advocating for your industry through your blog posts, which are not only informative, but they're very entertaining. I love reading them. You do a fantastic job of talking about these things and just making it a fascinating read. Will you share with us the biggest misconceptions you've had to face in the dairy industry? Yeah, there's quite a few. It's just so hard because I think it stems from the image of the family farm has It hasn't changed in the consumer's mind, but what they see when they drive by a farm is completely different. So I think a lot of that comes from just not understanding. People want to know. So we do farm tours on our farm. And in the summertime, we can get like 75 people that will come out on a Saturday. So like people want to know. It's just like reaching out to them. But the big ones that we deal with are like the animal welfare and animal care ones. You know, a lot of that comes from what PETA has to say and, you know, hate spreads faster than positive stuff does. Yeah. Yeah. So the animal care ones are big. People are always shocked when they come in our barn that because our cows do not go out on pasture. We have a freestyle barn that they're in. So each cow has a stall that she gets to lay in with sand bedding, and it's just really good for cow comfort. So people are shocked when they come in the barn that, like, these cows are actually, like, happy. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a big one. And then, like we had talked about, the cow-calf separation is also a really, really big one. And then right now, too, with the whole new green deal going on, um, the environmental impact is really big. A lot of people think that dairy is, and I think cows in general are just ruining the environment, but in reality, it's, they're creating less than 4% of the greenhouse gas emissions. So people assume a lot. So it's a tough challenge, but I really enjoy it. Absolutely. And you do a great job of talking about that. And you have a blog post specifically to that. that I absolutely loved. And uh, if more people would just come out and actually see the operations or take the initiative to learn more about it instead of hearing things from people who have no agriculture experience at all and taking that, you know, as gospel basically. And if people would just step out and ask a farmer or ask a rancher, like a lot of us will say. Yeah, exactly. And then you're going to get firsthand experience and knowledge. And for the most part, I think just about anybody in the agricultural world would be more than happy to show people who have not been exposed to our way of life, the ins and outs of it just to help educate and build that support for our community. 
yeah, it gets frustrating. But um, like you had said, we always say, go ask a farmer. They're the experts. So how would you advise other first-generation farmers and ranchers to handle some of these misconceptions when they are faced with these issues? I always say, you know, be honest and be upfront. So we, when we give our tours or like when we talk to people, we, we don't want to hide that we do separate the calves. So yeah, when I give a farm tour, the first thing I say is when a cow has her calf, mom goes in the barn and the calf goes outside and we go right to the calves and then we talk about, you know, why we do that. My goal is to always answer the tough question before they even have a chance to ask. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And, you know, you can spew off all these percentages and statistics, but, you know, people care why you do it. They don't really care, you know, how you do it. So like making that connection with the why and giving them someone to trust. Absolutely. And you guys as a dairy industry as a whole, you guys are making huge strides in, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but overall the dairy industry is trying to reduce their impact by 2020 and you guys are on a huge track to meet that goal. Is that correct? I can't remember the exact percentage. Yeah, it's reduced by 25% in 2020. That's incredible. And I think, I'm not 100% sure, don't quote me on this, but they just had their, the Dairy Sustainability Conference was just in Chicago this last week. And I'm pretty sure they said that we already met that and they've set a new goal. Excellent. So yeah, it'll be really exciting to hear what they came up with at that conference and what kind of the next steps are for the industry. They haven't really, you know, come out and published anything yet since it just happened, but it'll be exciting. Well, I love what you guys did as a dairy industry as a whole. I mean, you guys are only 4% of the impact that everybody's complaining about. And instead of saying, well, we're only 4%, whereas transportation and all these other things are so much more, instead of just focusing that you're the minority of that percentage, you guys took the initiative to still try and reduce that by your goal for 2020, that 25%. And I think that's huge, just showing how much farmers care, also ranchers care in the impact on our environment. And I think that's just huge that no matter how small that impact is, you guys still took initiative to try and reduce it even more. And that just speaks volumes for how much you guys care. And I wish more people outside of the agricultural industry could realize that. Yeah, well, I appreciate you saying that. It It's good to know that, you know, other people appreciate it. And yeah, it'll be fun to see what, what happens next and what ideas people have to come up with. Yeah. So I can only imagine how frustrating it can be to hear false info on how our milk is processed, especially coming from folks who have never visited a dairy, <laughs> to see how clean, pure, and sanitary the actual milking parlor is. Will you talk us through from start to finish the ins and outs of a milking shift in detail? Yeah, so there's a lot of science and stuff that goes into milking. So on our farm, we milk at 5 a.m. and 4 p.m., so about 12 hours apart. And then some farms will do eight hours apart, and they'll milk three times a day. And then, you know, there's robots and all these other crazy stuff. (laughs) So, yeah, we do the 12-hour schedule. And... Like I had said before, cows are huge creatures of habit. They love to do the same thing every single day. So when we start milking at five, cows already know. They're usually waiting by the gate of their pen to be let in. And so we bring them in and they go into a little holding pen. 
So while they're being milked, their pens getting cleaned out, they're getting fresh bedding, getting all of that done is really important, keeps the cow healthy and in return, keeps her milk really healthy. And so we milk in what's called the double eight parlor. So we can have 16 cows in parlor at one time, eight on each side. And like I had said, we had two people in the parlor. Um, So one person will take four cows and another person will take four cows. And this is really, really important when we're milking because when you touch a cow, when she's in the parlor, her brain is going to start to release oxytocin, which is the milk letdown hormone. Um, And so we want to have that milker on when she's kind of at that peak level. And, you know, being creatures of habit, we have a certain protocol we follow when we milk so the cow knows what's going on and she knows what to expect and then she'll let her milk down easier so yeah it's a lot of we take a clean towel and we wipe the sand off of her udder she also gets what I call hand sanitizer for cows (laughs) she gets that put on her udder it kills all the bacteria and everything that might be on there and then we also strip out the four quarters of her udder looking for anything abnormal If we see anything abnormal, we won't put that milk in the line with the other milk. That milk will get dumped. And then, again, we wipe her udder off really, really well and attach um, the milker. And so milk is never even touched by human hands until we're receiving it at home. So that is part of the safety. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, so everything has to be in pipes and tanks and everything But yeah, so when she's done milking, the milker will come off automatically and then we put an iodine on her udder just to keep, again, the bacteria and things from getting in her udder and keep her healthy and keep our milk healthy. So yeah, then when the milk is out, it gets pumped through a filter, which will catch anything that maybe we didn't wipe off her udder. And then milk will then, on our farm, it runs through what's called a plate cooler. So milk is about 102 degrees when it comes out of the cow. So that's the perfect temperature for bacteria and things to grow in. So the plate cooler will cool the milk down to 60 degrees in a couple minutes. And then it'll go into the bulk tank and it will cool to about 40 degrees, which will keep all that bacteria and things from growing. And then, yeah, our milkman comes and picks it up and then they take it to the plant and do whatever. But then on the farm... We're cleaning the parlor, scrubbing the parlor twice a day after milking. The whole system will get washed after every milking. And then before milking, it gets all gets sanitized again. So we spend a lot of our time on the dairy farm cleaning. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you'd have to. And I think a lot of people don't realize that either is how clean an actual milking parlor is. Yeah. And therefore how safe the finished product is. How often does the dairy guy come to pick up the milk? Our, on our farm, he comes every other day. Okay. And then he takes it to a plant where they make it into cheese for us. So. Wow. How many gallons does he usually pick up every other day? Our tanks can hold about 30,000 pounds of milk. Wow. So that would be... So at dairy farming, we measure amount in pounds. Okay. So a gallon of milk weighs about 10 pounds, so... I'm bad at math, but <laughs> that's okay. That's that's close enough. Math is not my strong suit either. So that's that's a significant amount though. But we usually, well, we don't produce that much. 
And then also we have a farmstead creamery on our farm. And so 8% of our milk is actually staying on the farm and we're making it into cheese as well. I love that you not only work the farm side of the dairy, but you also are very involved in working on the finished product side of things as well through the creamery. You often share the whole cheese making process and it's just fascinating to me. I love that you share that on your social media platforms. Can you share with us some of the different ways that dairy farmers could sell their milk and dairy products in the industry? Yeah, so the main way farmers are selling, dairy farmers are selling their milk is going to be like through a cooperative. So dairy farmers are good at raising dairy cattle and making milk. So that's really what they want to focus on. So most dairy farms will sell their milk to a cooperative who will then package it and market their milk. And so farmers are really putting trust in those people to do that for them. And milk is really local. So milk travels less than 100 miles from farm to store, and it does it in less than 48 hours. That's incredible. Yeah. So we get asked a lot. Um, I'm sure you know the dairy industry is in a tough spot right now. Prices yeah. have been extraordinarily low for about four years now, and it's just really tough. We're losing hundreds of farms every year because no one can make any money. But people always ask, how can we help our farmers? And it's go to the store and buy dairy products. It's as simple as that because the milk is local coming from these family farms. So that's the main way that most farms are selling their milk. And then there's also, like I had said, we have a farmstead creamery. So farmstead means The product is made right on the farm where the cows are. So that's what we do. We make cheese, and we're only using about 8% of our milk for that. And that's becoming more popular now as the dairy industry continues to go through this hard time. People are trying to be innovative and find new ways that they can keep doing what they love and creating the product themselves. And it's got to create a cool experience for your customers, too, because they could probably come out and purchase it right from you directly, and then also see the process as well. And that's a great educational experience for people wanting to shop local. It's really fun. The days like on Friday, we actually made curds and our store was open. And so people were buying cheese curds that were still warm and that milk had been in the cow six hours ago. And so it's just really fun to be able to teach people about the whole process. Oh, that would be so fun to go experience that. I absolutely love what you guys are doing with that. It's incredible. And like you said, very innovative. Yeah. Oh, excellent. What would be your best piece of advice to someone wanting to be a part of the dairy industry? You know, just don't be afraid to go for it. It, Right now, it seems like it's so tough and impossible because, you know, there's farms that have been around for five, six generations that are not able to do it anymore. But you know, if you love it, then just go for it. Don't be afraid. I was afraid at first, but agriculture is such a unique community. The people in agriculture are so supportive and yeah. people always want to help. And I think that's also key is finding a good network of people that will help you and answer questions and will support you. And I'm really blessed to have an awesome family that I get to work with that they've become family to me. And so I think having people like that that are passionate about the same things that you are is just so important and they'll keep you motivated. That's great advice. And 
I think if you just step outside of your comfort zone, no matter which part of the agricultural industry you want to be in, you're going to find people that want to help. And you just got to step outside of that insecurity of asking, maybe trade your time for the hands-on experience. And that's the best way to get that education. And everyone I talk to, that's what just about everybody says, you know, most, for the most part, the industry is more than willing to have you come on and them show you the ropes in exchange for you giving them a hand. It's just a really neat way to trade your time for experience. Yeah. The agricultural community is just so unique. I think that it's hard to get that experience probably anywhere else than in our community that we have. Yeah, absolutely. And there's only so much you can learn from books. Like just in the short amount of time I've been doing this podcast, I've been just learning so much and talking with people in the industry. And it's more than I've picked up in a lot of books over the years of just reading them and trying to learn it on my own. And it's incredible just how far a conversation will go even in learning the day-to-day and ins and outs of everyone's operations. Yeah, exactly. Paige, where can we learn more about you and what you're doing in the dairy industry? How can people follow along on your journey and your business? The big, My biggest platform personally is Instagram. You can follow me at page.roberts. I might be changing that soon, but we'll see. And then I have a link to my blog on there as well. I try and do blog posts once a month. I'm not like really a writer, so I set a low bar of posting (laughs) once a month. (laughs) But then our creamery is Redhead Creamery, and you can find us on Instagram and Facebook and everything. They do a really good job of showing people what we do in the creamery as well. I love that name. That's cute. Redhead Creamery. Yeah, she has, well, there's four daughters and all four of the girls have red hair. Neither of their parents have red hair, but all four of the girls have bright red hair. And so she kind of did that to honor her sisters. Oh, how fun. I love that. It's so unique too. Yeah. Paige, this has been just a fascinating conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it. And I've learned a ton. So a huge thank you to you for your time today and for the knowledge and education you shared for your industry. I greatly appreciate it. And for everybody listening, let's show some appreciation and support by giving Paige a follow on her Instagram and make sure you check out her blog. It's just, it's fascinating. It's a great read. Paige, you do such a great job with it. I I just thoroughly enjoy it. Well, thank you. I, I, I love, I have a big smile on my face right now. I feel like I'm not a big writer. So I love when people say that it's reassuring to know that people enjoy it. (laughs) Absolutely. You just do such a great job in delivering everything. And I I can't wait to see what future posts are going to have because it's just so much fun. Well, thank you. Thank you.